0: This morning's message, The Way to Peace. What an interesting piece of Scripture for us as we look at our world today. Because peace is a very, very difficult commodity to come by, amen? If you look at the world, what Jesus said to be true in the very last days, that in those last days, wars and rumors of wars, would be the status quo. And we certainly have that in our world today. It seems like you can hardly look at any form of news media without coming to that conclusion. Some of you that have been around a while, you're uh, students of history, you may remember that back just shortly before World War II in 1938, there in September, on the 30th, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain had gone to Munich to reach an agreement with the Germans that uh, there would be no war in Europe. And he came back to England and he waved a piece of paper and and he actually said, uh, peace in our time. It would be less than a year before World War II would break out, before Hitler would in, invade the Sudetenland, and the world would be wrapped in conflict. Peace is a difficult commodity. The Middle East is flying apart. Uh, even as we see today, there's the, the situation that exists in Israel, and as we travel there, you're going to see it firsthand. A greatly divided piece of land, and in fact, you'll see in the Palestinian settlements in the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, up in the Golan, uh, as we travel through the land of Israel, you'll, you'll see, you'll be able to visibly see the separation of Jews and Gentiles. It physically still exists. And yet, as we look at this passage of Scripture that's before us this day, we find this uh, amazing journey that is who we are really in Christ. And so, for us today, the way to peace. We'll finish chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and before we begin to read, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, again, we draw our attention, our fullness of our attention to your word, and we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we live in a troubled world. Lord, some of us live in troubled neighborhoods. God, some of us live in troubled homes. And Lord, we recognize that the only true peace as your children, comes from the Prince of Peace. And we pray that you would minister to us powerfully now by your word. Would you unify your body so that we might be able to be salt, we might be able to be light, we would have an impact and influence in our world. And so, God, we give you this time. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11, it says here in Ephesians 2. We're going to take the rest of the chapter. I may need a couple extra minutes this morning. And therefore remember that you, who is he speaking to? You, believers, once Gentiles in the flesh, he's speaking very specifically to Gentile believers who are called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. And so it's very clear this passage is about two racially divided groups of people. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. And to some degree, that hatred remains to this day apart from Christ. That at that time you were without Christ and so the differentiation is made. Without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You see, for a Gentile... The Jews believed they were cursed and they could not actually come to faith as the Jewish person could. The Jewish person was in a unique place. They knew the true and the living God. They had been given the Torah, the first five books of Moses. It was they who had a privileged relationship as the chosen of God's people. And it was they who had the temple and it was they who had the sacrifices. And so there was this huge distinction between these two groups of people. Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and notice this, without God in the world. And so when you think of that, it is about as divided as you can possibly get in that scenario. And we're going to see that the way to peace is through the person, the prince of peace. For the body of Christ this morning, we have the cure for what separates mankind. If you're here this morning and you are in Christ, there is, as we will see in chapter four, there's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, and there's one Lord over all. There are not multiple Jesuses, if you would. There's exactly one. And it doesn't matter what divisive issue you would bring forth, whether it's the color of a person's skin, whether it's their geographic region they live in, whether it's some demography, whether it's something economic, there is exactly one body of Christ in the world. There's one church in that sense. It has lots of different flavors, and we're thankful for those differences. But there should not be a schism, there should not be a difference, and we as the body of Christ should be the most welcoming people on the face of the earth. The division that exists in our world can be conquered by the one who breaks down the barriers, and his name is Jesus. We have an example here that we can look at, and that is that everybody has the same problem. Amen? That problem is not something that's a matter of the color of our skin. It's not something that's a matter of how much money you have or don't have. It is not something that is related to where you live on the globe. It's not rich. It's not poor. It's not conservatives versus liberals or independents. It's not living in a communist nation or a free democratic nation like we live in. It is, where do you stand with Jesus Christ? That is what brings peace. Because the rest of these things, they've been tried for millennia, folks. I was in the Soviet Socialist Republics when the Iron Curtain fell, shortly before. And I can tell you, I've been back since, and doing away with communism didn't fix the problem because the problem was part of communism was also atheism we don't need God we don't need to know him because he isn't real and so the problems economically still exist the problems racially still exist and so as an example Notice what he says here, Therefore remember that you were formerly Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. And as weird as this may seem to you and I, there was a physical distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And it was the right of circumcision in the men. And so if the men had that procedure done... There there would be a physical way you could say, Look, I am of the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm of the promised people. This is who I am. And if you didn't, you were everybody else, the Gentiles. And so, on one hand, you had the Jewish people saying, Look, you're not one of us. And on the other hand, you had the Gentiles saying, Look, you are of the Jewish people, so you're not one of us. There was a schism, there was a canyon. There was a divide, and that divide remains to this very day. You see, it's not tradition, it's not religious activity, it is none of those things that solves the problem. It's what happens with the condition of mankind's heart that's going to fix the problems that ail us today. Do we need to do better with things economically? Absolutely. Do we need to provide opportunities for those who are less fortunate? Yes, we absolutely do. Do we need to reform even our schools? Of course we need to do those things. Do we need to break down the barriers that have divided people geographically and economically and physically? Of course we need to do those things. That's an absolute fact. But the real problem exists far beyond those things. And it's within each one of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? That's the real problem. And that's the the attention that's being drawn here. As you look through this passage of Ephesians, as we finish this chapter, you, you see the Jewish people had a tremendous advantage. And thereby the Gentiles had a very distinct disadvantage. And notice these five things. The Gentiles were separated from Christ. They were excluded from citizenship in national Israel. You couldn't actually become a real Jew. Could you religiously join in their practices? Yes, but you could not become a chosen one unless you were born a chosen one. You were foreigners to the covenant. God made and will keep the covenants he made with Israel. And one day even those who pierced him will see him. When finally our king comes. As Paul would write to the church at Rome there in Romans chapter 11, one day all Israel will be saved. He's moving towards that goal in this age of grace that we now live in. And so as you look at these things, they would end up without hope. They were actually without God in this world. There was one God, amen? There's not multiple gods. That's what pantheism has taught throughout time, throughout history. There are multiple gods. If you happen to be of the Hindu faith, there are 3,500 of them or so. There's exactly one God. He exists in three persons. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's it there are no other choices there's not DEF all the way through G times 12 you see we all have that problem and there was an advantage to being a Jewish person and a disadvantage to being a Gentile and so the Lord says to them look I want you to remember the way you were now let's modernize it a little bit you go to American folklore you have the Hatfields and the McCoys amen they're actually still at war with one another. you got somebody who's got like one-eighth of the blood of a Hatfield and one-eighth of the blood of a McCoy, they're still like, well, I'll kill you first. In Ireland, you have the Catholics and the Protestants, and they're still warring, amen? In Bosnia, it's the Serbs versus the Croats. Here in Southern California, it's the carnivores versus the vegetarians. (laughs) Up on the mountain, it's the mountain folk versus the flatlanders. And now let me be a little serious. We have racial issues that bother us to this day, pain us to this day. And let me be very, very specific while I say these things. This is not to erase the very real and very difficult problems that face us as human beings, in trying to erase what has happened in our country, there are real and legitimate things over which people's hearts have been wounded and pained, and there are still distinctions that ought not to exist today, but they can be erased by Christ. Amen? We need to be careful and we need to be sensitive. My people, you notice my last name is Gill. it used to be O'Gil, it's because we're Irish. We have no color, okay? We have red hair and freckles. <laughs> my people, if you want to go this way, and I'm doing this for a purpose, lived in ghettos in Chicago and in New York. You can say the same things about the Germans who live in Wisconsin, we, we could go on and on and on. They're real, they're substantive, and we need to honor the fact that those things exist. And we need to be very, very careful about how we speak of these things because the hurt still remains in many places. But I know the one who can fix the hurt, and I know the one who can draw us together notice the answer is really contained in what we saw back in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, you see it takes an intervention from heaven this can't happen, God from heaven does what we cannot do here from earth amen, he can change hearts, he can cause us to do things together we never thought we'd ever do God is a unifier. He is a bringer together because we all have, as I already said, the same problem. And so whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile or whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you are black or whether you are white or whether you live in the United States or you live in a communist nation, the answer to what ails us is Christ in us, our hope of glory. Amen? Amen? Amen. He breaks down the barriers. Men erect barriers. Men take advantage of one another. Men abuse one another. And God says, "That's not my plan for my kids." That's why when I look around this congregation, it just it makes me smile. And I know it's not perfect, but folks look around this room. This is a picture of heaven. This is a picture of heaven. I'll share a little thing with you. My sister-in-law came here a couple of months ago, and she actually broke down and wept when she saw this congregation because of what God's doing here, because this is how it should be. He is our peace. Notice verse 14. Verse 13 says, But now Jesus Christ... You were once all far off. You've been brought near by his blood. There's one way that happens. In verse 14 it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Notice what he did. He took the Jews and he took the Gentiles, and he made them one in Christ by his blood. Amen? So when we talk about things that divide us, when we talk about the things that separate us, when we talk about the things that could yank us apart, Christ is the thing that brings us back together. That doesn't mean that we have fixed every single condition that exists in the world. It simply means that the place to start is at the cross. That's where we start. And when you start to view your brothers and sisters sitting next to you from your own need for the cross of Christ, it all of a sudden becomes very clear that but for God's grace, none of us stand. Amen? Amen? You see, Christ's sacrifice atoned for my sin, atoned for your sin, that but God, Jew, Gentile, brought together in that one peace that only he could accomplish. Prophet Micah said that there will be one who is peace. Isaiah said he is the prince of peace. Christ has been a peace peace bearer uh, since time immemorial. And so he goes on to remind us, you see, the law separates it always did and so the Jewish people held the law of God over the heads of the Gentiles it's one of the reasons that legalism kills it binds people it causes us to well our group does it this way you know at our church we wear robes in the choir you know what I'm saying you all know people that you talk to them it's like well you can't be saved unless you wear a suit Hallelujah, praise God, that you can actually be saved and wear shorts. <laughs> if you're here and you're in shorts, you're okay. Jesus loves you, this I know. You, you see, man makes distinctions. Man says, well, you've got to be like this, you've got to believe this way, you've got to act this way, you need to sing that way. I, I got a very kind of pointed email last week. That we we didn't have on Sunday morning. We didn't have a choir, and I responded back, "That's because we can't find enough people to get along." <laughs> of course, I'm kidding, <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You put you know you get five or six people together, and they kind of well we sing this way and. You know, five or six more, and we sing this way. And then you put a bunch of people in a choir, it's like, the devil was a worship leader. <laughs> That's an old joke. I repent of that. Kevin, if you heard that, I forgive me. <laughs> oh, no, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. And so the Lord breaks down those barriers, the laws fulfilled. And so what happens is then you start to preach the real Christ. You preach real peace as, as well. Think about it for a second. One of the Beatitudes, which we'll get to on Sunday evenings, is blessed are the peacemakers. Amen? Amen. Notice it doesn't say blessed are the warmongers. It says blessed are the peacemakers. You you see, when Jesus said that, he's reminding us all of who we actually are, because we're pretty capable of causing conflict. Amen? If you're married, you can say amen. (laughs) We're pretty capable of causing conflict. Getting married's the easy part. It's the living together afterwards that's hard. That's where all the conflict comes in, right? Because all of a sudden you figure out, well, you know, I don't do it that way. Yeah, well, that's because you're not me. Now multiply times 7 billion. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to get the opportunity for conflict. The world's like that. But Jesus is peace. You know, I often get into discussions with people on cults and world religions, and as I've said, I've taught this at the Bible college, and, you know, when you talk to somebody who's of the Hindu faith, how, how can you have a caste system that says there's a group of people, the Dalits, who are actually worthy of death. Their caste is so low that if anything happens to them, it's because they deserve it. If you happen to be a Muslim, men and women can't even worship in the same space. In most of the Muslim world, women aren't allowed to go to school. Christ says, no, that's not me. It wasn't until the 1980s that if you were a person of any other color than white, Native Americans, African American, Asian American, you could not join the Mormon church. Why am I saying this? Because all of those are false religions. All of those do not preach Christ, and all of those separate and do not bring together christ breaks down the barriers and hallelujah for it you you see we look at these things and we go well yeah that's good can i ask you what are you doing in your life to break barriers down what are you doing in your life what am i doing in mine what are we doing as a church to break down the barriers Because they're not from God. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And there's no exclusion there. It isn't unless they belong to this group. You know, if they're Republicans or if they're Democrats, then you can't love them. Or, you know, if they live on one side of the harbor freeway or the other, aren't we weird how we do those kind of things? Well, I can love people as long as they live in my neighborhood. As long as they look like me, talk like me, act like me, well, then I can love them. That's not from your Bible. Christ says we're now strangers no more. That's because he's preached that real peace to us. We now... He came and preached peace to those who were far off. He brought everybody near under the one true and the living God. Verse 19 says, And now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God. Think about it this way. You, You probably all have people in your family that you'd like, if they never came to another family function, you'd actually be okay. You know who I'm talking about. Everybody seems to have at least one or two people like that. It's just like, well, you know, if uncle so-and-so could not come, or aunt so-and-so, or, you know, my niece or my nephew, whoever, if they would just not come to the family functions, it'd all be okay. But the fact of the matter is you're related to them, amen? You don't get to pick and choose your family, amen? You're kind of stuck with them, amen? In Jesus' name, your family. You don't get to pick and choose who's going to be in your family. That's chosen by God through grace. We're in the same family. We're expected to love each other. We're expected to live by the house rules. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against those things, Paul would write to the church at Galatia, there's no law. He says, look. You're, you're no longer strangers. You can't say, well, they're of that group and we're of this group, so we don't want anything to do with you. And so that should make us grateful citizens. Why do I say that? Now think about it for a second. And there are some that we have in this church that this actually applies to their life. Maybe you grew up in a part of the world where it was very, very difficult and maybe you escaped. You actually immigrated to this country. Now imagine that when you came to this country, when you you got sworn in as a naturalized citizen, or maybe you actually became, uh, you're here and and you're just enjoying the the benefits of this country and you've been accepted. You would be a grateful citizen when that happens. Now imagine that the president decides to take you into his house. It's the people's house, amen? doesn't belong to him, it's ours. He takes you in, he says, look, it's yours. Live here just like everybody else does. You're going to be very grateful for that, amen? How could you not be kind to your fellow occupants of the same house? How could you look at that and view your, well, you know, so-and-so's got a better bedroom than I do. You, You see, you become very grateful for just the opportunity to be here. When I travel and I come back to the U.S., I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, for my country. We got our issues. We have our problems. Absolutely true. No place I'd rather live than here. And I've been around a pretty good chunk of the world. I'm grateful, even with the problems, even with the people that maybe don't treat you the way they should. You see, the fact of the matter is, is he is our cornerstone. Notice this, verse 20. We should live those kind of lives that are indicative of who we're built on having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. He simply says, look, the Old Testament the New Testament both say the same thing. The scarlet thread of redemption goes from Genesis to the book of Revelation. It's the same Christ that's being preached. Whether it's the Christ that's hidden there in the book of Isaiah, or the book of Daniel, or the book of Zechariah, or whether it's the revealed Christ in the book of Ephesians, or the book of Romans, or in the Gospels, the same Christ is preached from Genesis to Revelation. That's the foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He makes this, uh, this analogy, this allusion to the cornerstone. Now, we rarely build this way anymore. But in those times, the cornerstone determined everything about the building. Its orientation, north, south, east, and west its ultimate foundation level, how big the building could ultimately be. If you put in a small cornerstone, you could not build a big building. If you put in a large one, you could. And so Christ being the cornerstone, perfectly laid, completely level, absolutely plumb. If the cornerstone was tilted, the building was tilted. If the cornerstone was out of level, the building was out of level. Christ is the perfect cornerstone of unity and peace. He's the one that laid the foundation, and he did that by his own blood shed on Calvary's cross. The whole building rests in him. Verse 21 actually says it, In whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. You see, if you think of that properly, literally the skyscraper of God, that's us, because we're living stones built on the one foundation stone, the cornerstone, amen, grows into a skyscraper for Christ. The real freedom tower is actually the church. The real peace of God exists in us because it came from Him. He's the cornerstone. And in order for us to be the very best that we can possibly be, at at times we we really need to kind of check and see if we're actually fitting where we're supposed to fit. Because every once in a while you get an ornery stone, amen? You get some people that aren't acting exactly like Jesus, and they tell everybody, well, we're the real Jesus. Well, you can tell that by peace. You can tell that by love. You can tell that by unity. You can tell that by the bond that is in peace. You can tell that by the Spirit's work in the church. You can tell that by the fruit, for by their fruit you shall know them the building, what it looks like. You can tell. And so sometimes we need, to, we need to straighten up. You know, if the president were coming over to your house, I'm pretty sure you're going to take out the trash, mow the lawn, those kind of things, amen? You want the house looking as good as it possibly can. If we want real peace, we need to furnish the house with the things that marks it as a house of the Lord. And that's not division, that's not quarrels, that's not factions, that's not those things which would divide us, that's unity, that's love, joy, peace, servanthood, that's the things that mark us as his people, amen? That's what his house should look like. That's the house rules, if you will. A glorious home where absolutely everybody is welcomed in, amen? Amen? Is anyone supposed to be excluded from God's house? No. Then if that's true, then everybody's welcome. In this case, the example were the two most fractured sets of people that have ever existed on planet Earth. Jewish people and Gentiles. That schism's still there. And the answer is still the same. And his name is Jesus. He's the one that can draw across every boundary line. He's the one that knocks down every barrier. He's the one that pushes over every wall. He's the one that joins people across every type of distinction that mankind would care to make. And when he does that, he replaces those distinctions with his distinctives. And those are things that are foreign to us. We all of a sudden love our enemies. Isn't that weird? Think about what Christ said to us through the Sermon on the Mount. Love those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do good to those who do those kind of things to you. That's a little foreign to us, amen? Generally, our response to those types of people is black eye, bloody nose. And Christ says, why don't you figure out a way to show him my love? Why don't you figure out a way to draw him into our kingdom? The kingdom that we're all in, we're all part of. It's his kingdom and we're part of it. We can be that beautiful picture of what Christ really is. For he himself has broken down every wall. And He is our peace. And He is our joy and our strength. And He is, in fact, love. And so, I'll leave you with this. Probably most of you are doing pretty good with all these things. But every once in a while, something crops up. Maybe it's something that you've laid hold of in your past. Maybe it's something that still bothers you. It's unresolved. I would just simply say... Give it to the Lord. Let Him have it. Because if it's not of His peace, then it's a hindrance to His peace. And He wants you to walk in peace. He wants you to walk in love. He wants you to experience the fullness of His joy because that is exactly where you're heading when you get to heaven. And it can start now. I pray that the way to peace is alive and well in absolutely every one of us. Amen? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, as we draw to a close this time, this day, God, we pray for each of us, Lord, all of us. We have some things that need a touch from the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, would you do that in us? Lord, we invite you to change us and mold us and shape us. And, Lord, maybe there's even some today that have never met you. And, God, as we think on the possibility there, Lord, that was the whole point, that we would come to you and you would transform and renew our minds. Lord, you would change us from the inside out. And so, God, pray for those that have never responded to the gospel, Lord, that today might be that day, Lord prayer warriors standing by in the prayer room to sit down and pray that prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you for tearing down the barriers. Lord, thank you that the barrier of heaven Lord was torn. The veil was torn from top to bottom. That you've allowed us into the holy place where you dwell. Thank you for loving us with our faults and our weaknesses and our failures. Pray that you'd bless us as your church. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And God's people also. Amen. Amen.